Hey there. As usual, Welcome to Night Vale is on hiatus for the month of July, before bursting back in August with new episodes, plus a run at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival I'm very excited about. During this month off, we are doing something we're calling the Summer of Night Vale Presents. Every Friday during this July, we will be celebrating and sampling some of the other amazing work being done on the Night Vale Presents network. Obviously, we are known for our fiction podcasting, but in this first part of our Summer of Night Vale Presents celebration, we are looking at some of our non-fiction work. First off, we're going to start with a short excerpt from a podcast I made last year called I Only Listen to the Mountain Goats. It is a show in which I sit down with one of my artistic heroes, John Darnielle, singer and songwriter of the band The Mountain Goats, and talk about his songs, about art, and about whatever the hell we wanted to talk about. You don't have to know anything about my work or even his work. It's not just for fans of The Mountain Goats. It's a long-form experiment in what it means to be a fan, to be an artist, and, as many of us are, to be both at once. Vulture named it one of their best podcasts of the year, saying that it is, quote, a sensational and spirited idea surpassed only by the wonder of its execution. Here is a bit of our conversation from the episode discussing John's song, The Mess Inside, that gives, I I think, some sense of how these conversations wandered through topics in ways I really enjoyed. Today we're going to be talking about The Mess Inside. John, The Mess Inside, go. It's in G. Um, That's good. uh, I'm trying to... We were doing it on the last Happy Night of Your Life tour, uh, which was the tour I did with Khaki King. And uh, it's one of the ones that I remember very vividly the last night of tour, Webster Hall, it being really good that night. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know that we've played it much since, right? It's like you have some songs where you have a night where you have a definitive version and you go, yeah, I don't know whether there's any point in doing it anymore. With Moon Over Goldsboro, I've done it since. But there was a version in Austin also on that tour. I was like, Moon Over Goldsboro is done. That was <laughs> that was it. Right? So. So it's one of a couple, we talked about this, that that it, it's visiting a theme I'd been worrying for about, what is that? So it's 2000, so really not for that long, four or five years at this point. I've been sort of chewing on couples that that who are unhealthy together, right? But this one, it's a lot more nuanced because they're not, you know, they're having some drinks, but they're not alcoholics necessarily. They're not They're not in peril. They are trying to recapture something that is lost. And I feel like that is actually a big theme in my writing since then, that prior to that, the way I would look at it, and I hate to put it this way because, you know, if you're really young, you don't like to hear that there's some stuff that it helps to have a couple more years, more rings around your trunk when you write. But loss is a, is a thing that grows bigger as you have more to lose mm-hmm. and as as the distance between the things you lost and you grows greater, right? It's like the broader the distance the more there is to say about it, really. Uh, especially when, if you get to a point where you lost something and then you can't remember what it was because it was so long ago. And in this one, I, it's a it's a, it's a a sad song about people who are taking a geographical. They're going here and there, trying to fix something that is irreparably broken. And the speaker knows that, right? He knows, he knows well he's doing it, which I think is really sad, right? Like that's what makes it sad. It's, it's a little sad if people say, well, we'll take a vacation and that will fix our marriage, right? Mm-hmm. But it's sadder if both people know it's not going to work, you know? And that's the case. It's, it's one of the darker realizations of that one, of that concept that I think I, I have done. 
the weekend, drove to Provo. The snow is white and fluffy. The weekend in Utah won't fix what's wrong with us. The gray sky was vast and real cryptic above me. I wanted you to love me like you used to do. in the Bahamas Went out dancing every night Tried to fight the creeping sense of dread with temporal things Most of the time I guess I felt alright But I wanted you To love me like you used to it was in G and so with fault lines you have a thing where it starts out with theoretically a happy sounding scenario but we're in minor chords right G. And it starts in major G but then there's like three minors in a row yeah. and then this one it is immediately basically a, a sad subject and yet we're in major chords yeah no it's a big it's a big pronouncing triumphant sounding song um but I mean I think that's in part because that chorus is so naked and I always feel like telling the truth is powerful. Right? Yeah. Now, this is just a story, right? It's not about me or anything. But the speaker 
is saying something very true that you generally wouldn't say. Let's imagine that your marriage, perished thought, is in this sort of situation. For you to actually look somebody dead in the eye and go, the problem is us. The problem is us. It's not anything else. The problem is between us and and the mess is too great to clean up, mm-hmm. right? You would almost never say that. Or if you were to say that, you'd say it in anger. You know, yeah. you would say it. You'd say it as an accusation. You would say you have made a giant mess, right? Now we can't clean it up because of the mess you made. You might say, right? But it's unlikely that Amy would get to this point of honesty of going. Neither one of us can get away from this mess that we are both responsible for. Right. And it's like, I like that. In that way, I think it's a little bit of a study for Tallahassee because Tallahassee is loaded with the sort of insight that the Tallahassee couple, if they were real people, would never actually have. Yeah. Right? They wouldn't get to that level of being able to actually describe the chaos that they keep producing. Um, so with this, uh, with this song, going with my theory that is not at all endorsed by John Darniel or the Mountain Goats, <laughs> that this is the second part of a trilogy that starts with Riches and Wonders. Right. So this is this is the and what's the third part? The third part in my theory is Jeff Davis County oh, Blues. So, so the third part it remains to be seen. Right? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's this, it's it's so they all three center on this idea of a relationship as a home, and they all, you know, in the very first one, as you as you said, there's a there's a hint of darkness there, right? But it is ultimately a loving song. Yes, and then this is one where that has the tipping point has arrived, right? And then the. Th- third one in this trilogy that you don't endorse as a trilogy is a point where it is long gone and it is a person remembering he's by that. himself yeah he's uh yeah it's i i like this through line i like it i i don't you know jeff davis just seems like i was saying i like this song and i like the other one but jeff davis does seem like that's it's a more mature song and i don't know if i was then or am now a good enough writer to plot a three song cycle <laughs> where the third one is also the best one <laughs> it's like cuz usually i find in writing cycles that the early stuff in the cycle has that power of the newness and that's one thing that can be a real struggle when you're writing songs that are all in the same theme is staying whole, maintaining that level of passion about the thing that when you first start writing you're like oh this is a great idea check these guys out they're hilarious they're going to drink all night right and and you get pretty excited that's what was really a huge, not a challenge, but was surprising me about Tallahassee because I had stopped writing about those guys. I felt bad about those guys. I was tired of just punishing them every time I wrote about them. And then I said, well, I'll do this. And I remained focused long enough that every song that made the album, I feel strongly about. And the ones that we didn't wind up recording or, or that didn't make that we did record and didn't make the album are sort of the ones where it sort of feels like I'm not, not as connected, except for Alpha Chum Gatherer, which I really liked and I wish we had nailed. So. <laughs> We were talking about with uh, Riches and Wonders because it's a seven-chord song and it has um, a much more complex riff to it. This one has three. This one has three, but for a lot of it, it has two. Yeah. There's a D that shows up in the chorus, but yeah. other than that, it is, it is a G, G and, and C. C. There you go. You're <laughs> good. You got a riff and you got a G and a C. But I mean, everybody knows that's all you need if you have a good idea, right? It's- G, C, and D, it is... Oh yeah, you can. You don't you even can live in that chord pattern. You, can, you don't even need the D. <laughs> Anybody who's ever seen a Jonathan Richmond show knows. Oh, and he's a very good guitarist. Is the thing. Uh, it's kind of the secret about Jonathan Richmond is like if you watch him, you go, "Oh yeah, what you're doing worships at the altar of simplicity, but you yourself are not simple." <laughs> uh, but but yeah, no, this one is like it's dum 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 dum. That's all there is to it. You know, it's a thing that's like I. 
so I watch a lot of cooking competitions and stuff. And the right. thing that always comes up is the, you know, when you make something very simple, like when you're just like, I'm just going to make some roast chicken and some vegetables. Right. Uh, you have to do it perfectly because there's nowhere to hide. Right. You know, when you do like a very complex sauce and stuff, you can kind of fake it by like yeah. adjusting. Yeah. But there is something about when you decide I'm going to do something that is this simple, that is G and C. Right. You got nowhere to hide. You have to really yes. nail that. It has to be. That's an interesting way of put. Uh, <laughs> I hadn't thought of it that way because when I started doing just GNCs, it's because I only knew the super basics. But but by this point, yeah, I know more, but I could feel that strum pattern, for one thing, is not a typical strum pattern for me. The, mm-hmm. the emphasis is the way that it lands on, where is it? Dun, 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 two. It lands on the two and four, but it's not, you know, my typical. Here, I have the doing this so here's here's your default mountain goes so many old songs go like that but there's also that was it that's, that's just a folk strum pattern but this one it, and like this guitar is out of tune but like i don't think there's anything prior to this one that does that I mean, it's a country uh, color swing. in your cheeks is sim- it is also on the two and four yeah, okay, so it's different, but it is a two and four one. Same beats, yeah, but th- but that strum pattern. It's very Texas, right? Uh-huh. Right, so you're getting ready for them to go. Well, I left my dog down by the roadside, right? Something like that. <laughs> uh, something like that. It's like, it's got a loping Texas swing to it. Uh, and that's not something I had really worked with before, in part because I have the same sort of goth punk rock alternative culture anti-country biases that i had carried until the uh i would say early 90s late 80s when i bought roseanne cash's interiors and the whole world just cracked open for me so uh and then discovered hank williams of course you go oh you don't like country music eh you're an idiot you're an idiot (laughs) (laughs) it's like this guy god walking the earth but yeah i had never really thought about doing it and then the other thing is that you discover that's fake country country musicians are kind of like reggae musicians in that you hear it and you just hear people playing but once you become a player you listen to old country records you go oh my god everybody on this track is an absolute badass like everybody on this track is so good that they have no desire for you to notice at all right they're not you know maybe the guy who solos does but everybody else is just locking in and staying right there, you listen to Bakersfield Country, Buck Owens stuff. It's like, oh my God, best musicians in the world, you know. So, whereas I can't do that, so I, t- I tend to shy away from trying to do that. Getting there. Um, so taking it back to this song, you had this whole series of songs that is not in this album at all, the Going To songs. Yes. Which this feels at least somewhat kindred to. Well, it's sort of explicitly stating what the point, the going, the thing is like, one funny thing about early Mountain Goats and about, you know, a lot of music before anybody thinks that anybody outside their hometown is ever going to listen. One thing about when you're in a local scene is there are often a lot of songs that are actually addressed to or members of the local scene or are, you know, whose point will be best apprehended by people who've been seeing you every week, you know, who you see every day walking around town. And the going to songs, although I didn't explicitly state this when I was singing them, but they were made to make fun of people from where I'm from not sp- not anybody specific because there were so many of them who you'd see them at coffee on a Saturday night and they would go, ah, I am so tired of this town and all its bullshit. I am going to go to New York because people know what's up in New York. Man, over here, this is a bunch of clowns, right? And they would say that, you know, or San Francisco, a lot of people are going to go, oh, man, 
I'm only back here until I can make enough money to move up to San Francisco because it sucks here. It's all has always sucked here. I just realized most people doing this are never going to leave ever. Right? They're not. If they leave, they're going to go away for like six weeks. And then for the next seven years, they'll never shut up about how great it was wherever it was they went. There's a line about this actually on the new I was record. just thinking about it in Goss. <laughs> Well, that's that was the impulse. Is like people would go to New York, they come back after their first after their first semester at at uh, you know Columbia or whatever, and go, man, you people, you people are just like backwards children fumbling around in the dark, man. The, the, where it's going down is is in New York, right? <laughs> and I one am in love with California and will be for my whole life, especially Southern California. And two, I would just feel a little defense, very defensive. I'd be like, what are you even talking about? There is no place. I still believe this. There's no place that you can live that isn't awesome if you are willing to, one, invest yourself in it, and two, find out what's awesome, right? I mean, that's, you know, no place. Absolutely every place rules, you know. Some places you're going to vibe with more than others. But uh, but so I started going to songs to make fun of people who thought, I'm going to fix my life by moving to thus and such a place. Because you're not, because you learn mm-hmm. this in recovery. is like, this is the way they put it. Wherever you go, there you are, right? Well, if you think everybody around you is a clown and can't figure stuff out in California, I guarantee you, when you move to New York six months later, you're going to say, man, this place was cool when I got here. <laughs> now, now I don't know, man. There's all these bridge and tunnel people or whatever. It's like you will suddenly become that person. You will never find the New York that you visited because now you live there, right? And that was my position very strongly back then. Uh, I believe in more shadings of that now. I'm not as judgmental of, you know, the, the passes people go through. But that's what those were about. This song is the most articulate statement of of that, I think. You know, it's like, it's a much more forgiving version than having these narrators who are just like, everything's terrible, but I'm going to go to Spain, right? And so, <laughs> you know, these guys, like, they know, they know that they're not, that it's not going to work. <laughs> it's like, it doesn't matter how much fun they have. They know they're trying to chase down something they can't recover. I mean, it's a stall, basically. Yeah. It's it's playing for time. It's, it's it is delaying judgment. Who doesn't want to delay judgment? Yeah, I mean, there's something about this song where you know, because like music becomes shaded by who you were when you heard it and and what yeah. was going on. And I think it's very very the same way with places, right? Yeah. Like a place isn't a place. A place is who you were when you visited that Absolutely. place. Absolutely, that's beautifully put. And like this song feels like that to me, you know, there's lots of places, places I first went when I was like 19 and not happy with my life and trying to figure things out. Well, for, you know, I, I took a trip. I was miserable in college. I hated college. And, Where'd you go? Uh, to, uh, UC Santa Barbara. Oh, yeah. Um, it wasn't the college's fault. It was my fault. I just, I made myself miserable in college, but I had a, somebody I sort of knew in class who moved to Dublin and she right. was like, if you ever want to come to Dublin, you can crash on my couch. So I immediately booked tickets because I was like, I'm going to take this trip to Dublin. And uh, I went to Dublin. And and for the rest of my life, I think Dublin will be tied to this feeling of showing up in Dublin and being really, yeah, the whole, I went to Dublin and I was still me. Yeah. Like I yeah. went to Dublin and I still didn't know what I wanted to do with my life and I was still pretty yeah, miserable. No, I, blamed, I blamed Portland for how miserable I was in Portland for so long, right? And now I know that the time I was in Portland, you know, 
that Portland will never be seen on this earth again, right? It was like, now it was run down. Portland's fine now, but it was like, you can't believe how, how well, it's kind of like New York. It's like, you know, Portland was gritty back then. <laughs> Portland is not the grittiest place in the world now. Um, but I, for years, I, I, I still get the vibe when I go there. I like, I go to Portland, I walk around, and I still feel a little threatened. <laughs> like, uh, you know, Portland, Oregon of all places, but it's because I was a mess when I was there. But the thing about this song, again, is that these people are, they're mature enough that they know what they're doing. They're consciously trying to do it. They're having a good time. But the good time is informed by the fact that it's not going to make a difference, that it's it's uh, whistling past the graveyard. Yeah. Yeah, as I've, as I've gotten older, I feel like I've learned to embrace the fact that a place is entirely subjective. Yeah. And I've just, you know, especially, you know, now that I tour and I go a lot of places, I've just learned to, to just embrace my gut feeling about a place. Hmm. You know, the fact, I love Seattle. Seattle is my absolute favorite city in this country. And I'm not that into Portland. Yeah. And they're similar and they're not they're that far similar, away. Yeah. Um, and I don't have any sort of objective reason for that other than when I'm in Seattle, I feel really happy. Yeah, yeah. It just makes, it's a city that makes me feel happy and I don't have a specific reason. Yeah. It's weird. And Portland for me is a place I used to live and it's a place I almost died and it's a place where people saved my life. And so it's, I got a bunch of different, bunch of stuff. But I know what you mean. It's like you, you don't, you can't really define what you did or didn't like about a place. And some of it has to do with, I think I may have already quoted this line at some point, but uh, you know the uh, Christmas Carol when uh, Scrooge is talking to Marley and Marley is shaking his chain and Scrooge says, "You may be an undigested bit of beef. <laughs> you know, it's like you may not. This isn't. This is just something I ate. You know, and uh, and that's sometimes that's what it is. It's like you you didn't have enough sleep when mm-hmm. you got there. And but I, the thing is, I never. My assumption is that every town is good. I'm trying to think of what. We've been to towns where we've had bad shows, and then you wind up going, I'm not going back there because that show was bad, right? And then, of course, sometimes you wind up back there again, and you go, wow, this place is awesome. <laughs> it's because like, now I'm having a good time, and and the show is nice. So, Yeah, I mean, it, it, that's the thing is, you know, this couple, their forever Provo is going to be a sad and yeah. uh, unhappy place for, for them. For them, absolutely. Nothing to do with Provo and everything to do with who totally. they were when they went there. Totally. I, You know, I'm glad I got Provo mentioned in one song because I had a friend – uh, actually, a friend whose uh, hospitalization inspired uh, Best Ever Death Metal Band. Uh, Provo was where they sent him. Mm. Yeah, the elders showed up at his house one morning and said, we can do this the easy way or the hard way. And, uh, and his girlfriend found out after he was gone. Uh, she wow. called me and said, they took him. And, what? And he was not, the thing was like, some people who that happens to were into some bad stuff. You know, My dude was not really into any bad stuff. He was a pretty innocent and good and smart dude. But he's a professor of philosophy now, so it's okay. Yeah. It turns out sometimes. Sometimes it doesn't. <laughs> Not for everybody in that hospital, I bet it didn't. But No. You can listen to episodes of I Only Listen to the Mountain Goats in your favorite podcast app or by visiting IOnlyListenToTheMountainGoats.com. If you enjoyed what you just heard, consider listening to all of Season 1, available now. Season two of I Only Listen to the Mountain Goats is coming this fall, in which we will be discussing John's album, Transcendental Youth, as well as probably a lot of other stuff that we stumble onto. Next up is one of our absolute most talked about shows, Conversations with People Who Hate Me. In this show, Dylan Marin, who you may know as Carlos the Scientist on Night Vale, takes contentious online conversations and moves them offline. This year, 
Dylan has been moderating conversations between people who have exchanged online negativity. BuzzFeed called this show a must-listen podcast of 2018. These conversations are tense and breathtaking and gripping. He's held conversations between a trans soldier and a gay marine who supports the trans ban. He talked to a woman who sent herself homophobic messages as a form of digital self-harm. And then there is this conversation between a woman who wrote about why the TV show The Office doesn't hold up to today's standards, and a man who told her she should be burned at the stake for saying so. Let's listen to episode 12 of Conversations with People Who Hate Me, Burned at the Stake. Hey, I'm Dylan Marin, and welcome back to Conversations with People Who Hate Me, the show where I take negative online conversations and move them from comment sections and inboxes to phone calls. Sometimes I have one-on-one conversations with people who have written negative things to or about me on the internet, and other times I connect to strangers who have engaged in their own online negativity. Today, I'll be connecting people. My first guest is Jaya, who wrote an essay about the American television show The Office, specifically questioning if the show holds up by today's standards. The essay was tweeted out, and in response, a man named Tom replied, you should be burned at the stake for disrespecting The Office. Also, stop being a pussy. PC is for non-self-aware pussies. Okay, so first I'll talk one-on-one to Jaya, then I'll talk one-on-one to Tom, and then I'll connect the two of them to each other. Let's get started. Hi, Jaya. Hi, Dylan. How are you? <laughs> good. How are you? I'm good. Um, so you're a writer. I am a writer. Tell me when that started. Um, it's it's been around for a long time. Uh, writing, <laughs> writing, you know, the, the, the idea the art of, of yeah. writing. <laughs> Got it. Um, I I really started realizing that this is what I wanted to do as a career toward the end of college. But at this point, I've been doing it for about a decade. So you write very publicly online. Mm -hmm. Yes, I do. And sometimes things you write online go viral. (laughs) Yes, they do. So you recently wrote a piece critiquing the television show The Office. Yes, I did. What made you write that piece? Um, So the piece was essentially looking back at The Office, you know, from where we stand in 2018 and, and seeing how it feels. So I revisited it and sort of to my horror and disappointment found that I had a really hard time finding it as funny as I did when I first watched it. And a lot of what The Office deals with is, you know, this very bad boss, this boss who says a lot of racist, sexist things and thinks they're funny and sort of traumatizes his employees. And how does that look and how does that feel at a moment where we're all talking about workplace harassment and sexual harassment and, you know, these things that have very real consequences. Have you ever been criticized for being too politically correct? Uh, And I'm asking this as someone who has always been been criticized criticized for being being too politically correct. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I think that I think I very much used to be the person that would do the criticizing. Oh, really? Uh, in a way. In what context? I think I was very enamored with being the cool girl for a long time. Oh. But I think I also was fed the idea that being politically correct was that you were just doing this to score brownie points with some 
unknown entity mm. rather than for the direct betterment of yourself and the people right. around you. So, you know, I very much understand where that mm-hmm. where that reticence to accept the idea of political correctness comes from. Um, but since I I have embraced being the social justice warrior and and being that person, I have certainly been yeah. accused of being too politically correct on things. <laughs> right. Do you still love The Office? I I don't think I will be able to give up The Office. I think that there are a lot of things in it that I really love. I think it might be a while before I, I sit down and watch it all again. But I, right. you know, I still think that there are so many good performances in The Office. I think there are so many good jokes in The Office. Um, I by no means want everyone to just completely wash their hands of it yeah. and think that this was, well, it's wholly bad and we can just never talk about it yeah. again. I just think it's always useful to to look at the art that we love and think about why we love it and what are some difficult things in it. Yeah. But, you know, you're still allowed to love it. <laughs> well, I was just going to ask, do you think that by criticizing, critiquing a piece of art, a television show, a movie, a book, that you're taking away from it. No. I don't think that critiquing something means you can't appreciate it or enjoy it or be a fan of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think this is all all part of being a fan and all part of being somebody who enjoys various forms of art. I would much rather live in the world where we can have these honest, difficult conversations than just accept everything at face value. Mm-hmm. You know, look, anytime we... Anytime we experience art, yeah. um, we're experiencing it and bringing into it our entire life experiences. I can't watch The Office as not a woman. I can't watch The Office as not a person of Indian heritage when I watch Michael Scott, you know, make racist remarks to Kelly. Mm-hmm. I can't not be an Indian woman when that happens. Uh, and... As much as the phrase triggering will <laughs> trigger people uh-huh, yeah. who are against it, yeah. that brings up visceral reactions. Yeah. Uh, and sometimes I can move past them and see where the humor is, and sometimes I can't. Nobody watches a TV show in a vacuum. Um, and because of that, everybody is going to have their own experience. And that's why I can't get mad if someone criticizes it, because someone else is going to watch The Office with their own context and it's going to bring up their own feelings to it that are going to be completely different than mine. And I'll never experience that and they'll never experience the way I watch it. Yeah. And uh, this is a great segue (laughs) because in a tweet responding to that article, someone wrote, you should be burned at the stake for disrespecting The Office. Also, stop being a pussy. PC is for non-self-aware pussies. So how does it feel to see a response like that? To as piece? a non-self-aware pussy. <laughs> as as a is. non-self-aware pussy, yeah. Um, I've certainly had people get mad at me online before about various things. And, and sometimes it, it hits very personally. Uh, if this were in response to an article I maybe wrote to more of a personal essay that I wrote about my experience, I think I would have been a lot more upset or a lot more traumatized by it. Um, but the fact that it was about the office, I think let me uh, let me 
step back from it a little bit just because I'm, you know, it's about the office. Mm -hmm. I don't need the office (laughs) in my life. Mm -hmm. I like the office. Mm -hmm. I'm happy that it exists and that it's brought joy to so many people. But it's not like a fundamental part of my identity that I was being attacked for. Uh, And so I was more just curious about what makes somebody love a piece of art so much that this is the sort of vitriol that they're going to go after someone who gives it, in my opinion, it was a mild critique. Mm -hmm. So Jaya, are you curious about the person who wrote this tweet? I am. I definitely am. Hey, is this Tom? Yes, it is. Uh, let me get outside and you hear me a little better. My friend needs his, uh, his quiet in here. He's playing a very intense new video game. Okay, <laughs> great. I support that. Okay. All right. Okay. Can you hear me okay? I can hear you great. This is perfect. All right. So, Tom, how is your day going? Let's just start there. Uh, it's going pretty well. A bit of a late night and it's raining now, but everything is all better now. I've had my coffee. <laughs> okay. so, well, congratulations. Yeah. You're living the yes, life. Yes, um, Okay, let's start here. So only in as many details as you're comfortable sharing. Uh, tell me about you. Okay. Jeez, I don't even know where to start. I I have a dog who I love very much, and her name is Athena, and she's a pit bull. Um, but she's awesome. She just wants cuddles. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I just recently started playing basketball. I'm a little on the chubbier side, so I like to. It's a good way to lose weight. Um, pretty quiet, old school kind of guy. I like to read. I like a nice glass of scotch and a cigar. Oh, nice, fancy. Um, I guess, I guess. So I, uh, I'll i bring it up. The tweet that we are here to discuss is that in response to someone's okay. essay about the television show The Office, you wrote, you should be burned at the stake for disrespecting The Office. Also, stop being a pussy. PC is for non-self-aware pussies. Um, so Tom, what inspired you to write that? He, the, the gentleman is saying that the office is not. It's a. It's a dude, right? No, it's actually a woman. Okay. Uh, the 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 uh, the woman is saying that the office is not not politically correct, and it doesn't really. I don't know. Kind of like belong in this generation's TV sphere. There is a sense that you need to really watch out with what you're saying because mm-hmm. you're not socially cool if you're not offended greatly by something Hmm. and i'm the type of person that i don't really take it offense to things and i find that my life is a lot easier and less stressful that way but the office really had a way of bringing something out of me that's I don't know. It's, it gives you a warm and fuzzy on the inside. I'm not very good at all this Hallmark stuff. Yeah, so like, what is it about The Office that gives you that warm feeling? It basically tracks these people for 10 years of their lives. Mm. Uh, and you see them grow for 10 years. And uh, watching that show, honestly, you know, it did a really big thing for me emotionally. And mm-hmm. again, I'm not trying to get all Hallmark, but mm-hmm. um, 
you know, it really did. It made me think about things a different way. I guess my feathers got a little ruffled mm-hmm. when uh, when she wrote that article. Yeah, like I get the idea of being defensive about this thing that is near and dear to you, but at the same time, I also think that um, what you wrote is offensive, right? The idea that you told someone to burn at the stake, I'd, I'd call that offensive. That is definitely offensive, and I probably shouldn't have said that. But I did. <laughs> okay, but you did. Um, do you do you regret saying it? Um, that's a that's a tough question. Mm-hmm. Um, let me let me give you a two part answer. I'll I'll take it. Part A, no, no, <laughs> no, because I'm I'm very unapologetic, and and I know full well that this is not the right way to conduct being a person. Um, and I'm working on that in 2018, new year, new me, hashtag, bless up. Um, and here is side B of Mm -hmm. the vinyl. I, uh, I do want to change as a person. Some people Mm -hmm. would describe me as a, uh, as a dick. Mm -hmm. Um, so I'm really trying not to be a dick. And what I said earlier was being a dick. Uh-huh. And I am sorry for being a dick. I shouldn't have been a dick. So why the hashtag New Year New Me? It's a popular hashtag on Twitter. No, totally. But like, why for you? Oh, I uh, to be perfectly honest with you, mm-hmm. I'm not a very open-minded person. I'm the kind of person that sees someone who is different than me, and I immediately kind of feel uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. You know, in the spirit of full disclosure, mm-hmm. um, that's been with people of different races, mm-hmm. uh, people of different creeds, mm-hmm. people uh, who are part of the lesbian gay community. I know that it's LG. I don't know what the there's four letters and I don't know what they are. LGBTQIA. Yeah. 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 That. Yeah. That part of the. Yeah. The members mm-hmm. of that community. And, you know, from this span of a few months in particular from being around all those different types of people mm-hmm. and talking to them and learning their story. I almost feel kind of stupid that I've been this closed minded mm. all this time. Mm. Uh, I know. And I'm sure if you're comfortable with me talking about this, of course. Um, you, uh, you told me you, you were gay. Mm-hmm. Is it cool if we discuss that? Of course. Um, I, you know, dude, if you told me that like two or three years ago, mm-hmm. we, I, I promise you, you can write this on a rock that we, we would not be having this conversation right now. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't even want to talk, uh, right? No, no. Yeah. As soon as I found out that fact, uh, I, we, that, that would have been the end of that conversation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now I'm kind of kicking myself in the ass cause now, oh, dude, you're a fucking cool guy. Like, well, <laughs> thanks, Tom. You seem like a pretty, pretty chill mofo. So chill mofo. I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, and I, dude, I wouldn't have even gotten the opportunity to do this. Uh, honestly, this is cool as shit. I feel like a movie star right now. <laughs> you uh, are. Look at you. Uh, You're on uh, the podcast <laughs> radio waves. Hell yeah. But you were saying that you would not have even agreed to this conversation a few years ago. Uh, if I'm being honest with you, like. You know, I was very, I, I, I had my head up my ass at that point. And now mm-hmm. it's, it's still up my ass, but like my chin and my nose are out. So <laughs> right, I'm, I'm right. still, yeah. you know, yeah. I'm, wor- I'm working on it. Yeah. Uh, I'm still kind of an asshole. Uh, hence 
the tweet. Um, but I, I am working on it. Um, uh, you first. Uh, I'm going to say something super cliche, and then I'll start stop talking. You know, profusely. <laughs> okay. okay. Um, no, this is great. I, I think to close out my babbling bullshit, people are trying way too hard. They mm-hmm. are seeking to be understood. Mm-hmm. First, I don't think there is enough of seeking to understand mm-hmm. before seeking to be understood. Hmm. Hmm. Does that make any sense? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people want to explain themselves more than they want to listen. Yes. Yeah. Yes, exactly. So, with that being said, are you ready to talk to the author of this essay about The Office? Are you ready? (laughs) Yes, I'm ready. I'll take that as a yes. Hi, Tom. Hello, Jaya. I did not know your name. I'm sorry. It's it's a very pretty name. (laughs) That's okay. But look at you guys. Jaya and Tom, we're here. We're on the call all together. Let's get cracking. So, first of all, how are you guys feeling? Tom, how are you feeling? Oh, pretty good. And I have had my coffee, so I'm very amicable. I'm okay. Perfect. (laughs) Uh, Jaya, how are you doing? I, I too, have had coffee. I'm I'm feeling good. Okay. Perfect. Let's get a shout out to coffee real quick. Can we get that going on? (laughs) Coffee is sponsoring this whole episode. Just the general idea of coffee. Making my whole day possible. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yes. So to get things started, I want you guys to get to know who you are beyond this moment that you've intersected at on the internet. So Jaya, tell Tom about you. Um, hi. (laughs) (laughs) I, uh, I am a born and raised New Yorker. I am married. I have two cats. Okay. Okay. I've been a writer in some capacity for most of my career, whether that was me doing it on the side while I had other jobs, uh, or me doing it full time. Right now I'm a freelancer, so I am just at the whim of any editor who wants to give me an assignment and pay me. <laughs> okay. All right. Um and my mother's white, my dad's from India. Okay. It sounds like honestly you and I would probably have a lot of the same tastes in comedy. My dad raised me on on Monty Python, on okay. Mel right. Brooks. Mel, Mel Brooks is the man. <laughs> <laughs> that was, you know, this was all. R.I.P. I feel like my my deep comedy sensibilities, whatever they are, were influenced by <laughs> by these works. So there was a lot there that I really, really love and continue to love and. Uh, I feel like that's always been a huge part of my life. <laughs> yeah. Now, Tom, again, in as many details as you're comfortable with, uh, tell Jai about you. Okay. Um, I'm Tom. <laughs> Damn, this has always been a tough question for you. Dude, they ask me, what, what am I like? <laughs> uh, I'm, he would probably tell you I'm fucking weird. Uh, <laughs> I have a dog. Her name is Athena. She just turned 18 in dog years. Oh, happy, which happy is birthday. Two and five eighths in human years. <laughs> I'm not nice. mistaken. 
Uh, I'm trying to keep track. I just played her all the Fast and Furious movies. She's old enough to watch those. Oh, yes. <laughs> I also love the Fast and Furious movies. <laughs> yeah, okay. Which one's the best? Ooh, that's a toss-up between five and seven for me. Oh, I'm a number three man. It's all about the Tokyo Drift. Oh, Tokyo Drift is Um, also very good. Yeah. So uh, switching gears a little here, Tom, can you tell Jaya why you wrote in response to her article, you should be burned at the stake for disrespecting the office. Also, stop being a pussy. PC is for non-self-aware pussies. Uh, I would like to go on record as saying that I did indeed say that. Okay, (laughs) great. I mean, I got a little upset that you wrote that article. I understand that, you know, some of the things that they say in the office are offensive to certain people, but they really do let everybody have it. Uh, Everybody gets the sauce. I trademarked that, um, (laughs) that, by the way. Yeah. Uh, Everybody gets the sauce in the office, which, you know, I, I, I guess it's, it's offensive to everybody, but they're not singling out one group of people in particular, which that would not, I mean, that would not sit very kosher with me. And I just think uh, that today it's become more of almost like a social necessity to find one thing or a group of things to be super offended at. And I kind of, you know, I kind of personally blew your article off as, you know, saying like, come on you know it's it's fucking funny like it's you know and i think you said uh correct me if i'm wrong please uh that it's like kind of more or less doesn't really belong on tv in our generation well Um, i think more of the point that i was trying to make is that you know given these a lot of these conversations about sexual harassment in and outside the workplace and other forms of harassment, that it's um, not that it, not that people can't watch it or enjoy it, but that right now, at least for me, it was harder to watch it without immediately thinking of all these conversations and without it immediately being a little, a little too personal or a little too close for comfort. Okay. But I'm curious, do you, do you think that because I critiqued it that I was saying that it shouldn't be allowed to exist? Honestly, yes and no. Uh, <laughs> because, I mean, I'm sure you've seen the show and enjoyed some parts of it at least. I have. Uh, I, I've, I'm still, I like The Office. Yeah, so, I, so you do both <laughs> oh, share Office that. Oh, The Office is the shit. Yeah. Right, I no, it's something that, that I, I have enjoyed a lot. It was something that... You know, my my dad was the one to introduce The Office to me, and it was a great bonding thing for Wait, us. Yeah, my mom introduced it to me. I mean, she brought this weird show home one day from the library. This was before the days of Netflix. And I was kind of looking at it, The Office. This is weird. Not really what I'm into. And I put it on, and I couldn't I could have put it down. I couldn't put it down. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it, it's just, you, you want to know what happens next. Yeah, no, I feel like my dad, when when it was first on, he had heard about the British version of The Office and then was super excited when this was coming on. And my dad and I were already big Steve Carell fans from when he was on The Daily Show. And so, you know, we always watched this together and really enjoyed it. So part of, you know, and maybe I didn't do this well enough in my piece, but I I was very disappointed to find myself feeling this way because I didn't want to feel anything but complete, unobstructed love for The Office. 
Okay. And then I found that a lot of my feelings were a little more a little more complicated and I wanted to express that, but also that, you know, I don't think that keeps me from appreciating it. I think it's always worth it to to look at the art and the things that we love and think about why we love them. And do we love them in spite of something? Do we love them because of something? So as someone who was a decade younger when I first started watching it, realizing the ways I've changed and the real realizing the ways that I now react to the show differently than I did a decade ago. So Tom, now hearing why Jaya wrote this, uh, I, I want to kind of bring up a, a point you made in your tweet, which is the idea of political correctness. <laughs> so The idea of political correctness. Yeah. All right. So Tom, I don't want to put words in, in your mouth, but uh, I think it's fair to say you're not a fan. It's, that's fair to say. Okay. Thoughts? No, I'm, I'm not a fan of political correctness. What do you think the problem with political correctness is? Oh, my God, it's too much. Uh, I know I'm supposed to word that a little bit better and fancier, but I think people sometimes forget that we have a First Amendment, and it really does let you say or think whatever you want. And just because someone doesn't agree with you, it doesn't make them or you wrong. I personally am not offended by a lot of shit. Like, if... I don't know. If you if I was like of a different race and you called me a racial slur, it might bother me a little bit, but at the end of the day that you saying that to me shows me that that what you're saying is a reflection about how you feel about yourself. So I I just try to live my life. Um and I guess that collides with other people's lives, i.e. this phone conversation that we're having right now. So, Tom, you you brought up the First Amendment. I did. And it's funny, you know, the way I kind of see this podcast is I feel like uh, this podcast is like the continuation of the First Amendment. It's like, yes, you are free to say whatever you want. Yeah. But here is how you can listen to someone who was affected by it. You know what I mean? So these, these are like the footnotes of the First Amendment. Yeah. Th- these are the footnotes of the First Amendment. I, I fuck with that. I always think, you know, because I agree. I think there's a lot about the First Amendment that people forget, you know, yeah, you're allowed to say whatever you want and people are allowed to criticize you for it or disagree with you or whatever. Um, but I always wonder that it's like, yes, you can say whatever you want, but why are you then choosing to say that specific thing? Yeah. And I'm also a writer, so I think about that a lot. <laughs> yeah, understandably so. Yeah. So, so Tom, I think the the best way to put it is that I, it's like it's not just the footnotes to the First Amendment. It's like the First Amendment. God bless it. It exists, and this is what comes after. You know. Yes. Yes. The aftermath. The aftermath of the First <laughs> Amendment, right? A, a lot of the article was about how the office makes light of workplace abuse. Yes. Tom, have you experienced workplace abuse? Uh, I'm a former Marine, and I don't think I've ever worked anywhere around a female ever in my life. Jaya, have you experienced workplace abuse? Um, I have, and I think... You know, Tom, it sounds like the places we've worked have been relatively different. You know, I definitely have worked around a lot of women. 
Um, but I think a lot of a lot of the abuse I've gotten has never been anything so outright as to have, you know, someone physically attack me or assault me. Um, nobody. Well, that's good. I'm happy about thank that. Thank you. No one, you know, explicitly refusing me promotions or opportunities because of my gender or my race. Uh, none of that. But there certainly has been um, comments about my body because I'm a woman. Uh, comments about my race and my background that I'm pretty sure a white person wouldn't have gotten. Um, and nothing so serious as to completely derail my career or even derail my day, but just stuff that over time, uh, piles up and, and I notice more and I notice that other people don't experience or get the same way. And I do. And then I noticed when other people get it worse than I do. Um, so I think it's more just been something that because of my experiences, I have been made aware of a lot more. Yeah. Well, that would make perfect sense. I mean, I think uh, people really are a product of their environment. Yeah. I, I have seen a little bit of it, I guess, uh, but not probably not nearly to the extent that, that you have. Tom, you mentioned to me that uh, 2018 is New Year, New You. Uh, so talk us through why you're in that position. Um, damn, we got, we got deep. I don't know. I guess I've been seeing things through a different eye as of late. Um, a lot of, a lot of the guys that I work with are, are African-American. I'm actually the only Caucasian man in the office. Um, so I, I learned a lot of cool stuff. Started, you know, looking more and more into like why, you know, people of the, of the, of that are black people in particular, are having, you know, they're so upset now because of the way things are going in this country. Like I'm starting to understand it a little bit more. I used to just write it off as like, Oh, well, you know, damn, they're just upset over nothing, I guess. But now it's, it's not over nothing, you know, I, and that just goes back to being more open-minded. This is interesting. If, if I can um, be so bold as to kind of identify the theme of this conversation, Ooh, I, shots fired, shots fired, shots fired, <laughs> shots fired. I, I think that um, I think the theme is essentially like we are what we are exposed to. Jaya, you were talking about the comedy you were exposed to and how it influenced who you are as a person, who you are as a writer. Tom, you were talking about what kind of things you were exposed to, how you changed when you started working with uh, mostly black people. So given that, I, this question is for both of you. Tom, I'd love to hear you first, but this all started because of The Office. <laughs> now that you, okay. you've talked to Jaya, <laughs> do you see The Office differently at all? Or can you understand why someone might not see it the way you see it? I, uh, I, still, got, I still got to work on that whole aspect of <laughs> okay. myself. That's okay. Um, That's okay. I'm what I'm what a lot of people would describe as a hard ass. Hard ass, <laughs> okay. Um, I'm not gonna stop thinking about it in the way I do, but I definitely, I can definitely appreciate where you're coming from because I didn't even think about you know not being 
exposed to a workplace like that ever. Uh, the first thing that popped into my mind was, damn, she better not be disrespecting my office. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, uh-huh. uh, so the, I, I guess I didn't really, I don't know. I didn't really put myself in your shoes and you having those experiences and seeing them firsthand. I mean, that's the alien to me, you know, and I can definitely appreciate where you're coming from on the article. And I'm sure a lot of people that have been exposed to that type of, you know, negative behavior in the office, I'm sure they'll appreciate it too. Now, Jaya, that you've had this conversation with Tom, is there anything you see or think about slightly differently? Um, Well, Tom, thank you for for also being so open-minded about this. Um, I, I feel sort of the same way. I think that... For for anyone, it's very easy to get caught up in your own environment. If we're talking about being a product of our environments, most of our environments consist of a lot of people who who think like us, look like us, have our same values. Um, and even if we make a really big effort to try to expand our worldview beyond that, you know, it's really, it's really hard. And sometimes you lose track of being able to do that. And I feel like for myself, it's a constant reminder not to get stuck in the bubble that I'm in. Um, and so I feel like this has been really great because Tom, obviously you and I come from pretty different backgrounds. Um, but it's been a while since I think I've been able to have a conversation with somebody who comes from such a different place than me and the fact that and I get nervous about it sometimes but I think the fact that this has gone really well and we hear each other and we understand each other like that's just it just feels so valuable yeah I I appreciate it too I mean when Dylan hit me up and said hey man you trying to back up what you said I was like hell yeah that's awesome (laughs) that is what people should be doing you know the it I don't know I the First Amendment's a great thing. Use it to its maximum potential. And that's what we're doing right now. Yeah. 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 <laughs> that's what we're doing. The aftermath. The aftermath of the First Amendment. Um, and Hell yeah. To talk about the show that we're here to talk about, Tom, what do you love about The Office? Jim. Jim is the fucking man. <laughs> Jim. Okay. I mean, I, yo, I'm not trying to get all Hallmark. I'm not really good at all that. Uh-huh. But if I was a lady... I want me a gym. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, uh, he's just, man, I don't know. He pays attention, which, you know, I love. Uh, yeah. And I don't know, man, dude, I'm, I'm, this might be shots fired, but man, if, if, if I was gay, I'd probably go for a gym. You'd probably you'd go for a gym. Can, is the he's attractive. Man. Yeah, I get that. John Krasinski. Hell yeah, and he can ball too. I mean, yeah. what's up? You know. Yeah. Um. So Jaya, what do you love about the office? Um. God. Well, I think that it's ridiculous just to say it's funny. That's like I, you know, that's so, such a subjective thing. But I think that at its best, it really just you know, brought up all these little everyday things that you don't realize how ridiculous they are. And then once you see it in the office, you realize how funny and ridiculous they are. And I think that's 
what initially made me love it so much is is seeing these things that you would normally think is very mundane or very just annoying and and just like the deep absurdity yeah. of them. Yeah. Uh I I love that about it. Do you think you're allowed to critique something that you love? Yeah, absolutely. I critique things I love all the time. Okay. Um, great. I mean I don't think you would critique something if you don't at least have some sort of connection to it, whether it be good or bad. Yeah. Yeah. Jaya, do you think you can critique something that you love? Yeah, absolutely. Um, And, you know, I think that was actually a conclusion that it took me a long time to realize. I think I, for a long time, was very uncomfortable whenever somebody came after something that I loved because I didn't want to have to... I didn't want to have to justify my love for something against someone else's critiques. Uh, But I think similarly, I learned that, right, you know, if if something, if you're going to care about something, uh, it's your responsibility to to think about it and know everything about it and know what other people think about it. And just because I love something and someone else doesn't or someone else is obsessed with something that I don't understand doesn't mean I can't acknowledge that or appreciate that or you know learn about why they love it the way they do and why that's different for me um I think that yeah I think that's important for all art I know we're closing this out but Tom since it's what brought us here I have to ask do you think Jaya should be burned at the stake I, uh, as an enterprise or person, do not endorse the burning of anyone at the stake because <laughs> that is highly, highly illegal. Uh-huh. Uh, it has been illegal for about 300 years. Yeah. So um, I meant that as like a, as like a witch reference. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I get it. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, yeah. Or Joan of Arc, whoever, whoever you yeah. fuck with. Joan. Um, but no, no, you shouldn't be burnt at the stake. You're a lovely woman. You're awesome. Thank okay. you. And actually, I, I wanted to ask like a, a, a sub question. Please. Uh, do you guys like sushi, both of you? Yeah, both yeah. You. Sushi. Next time I'm in New York, I'm going to hit you up, Dylan. Yes. See if you want to get some sushi. I would, and we better all get together. I would so. love that. I would love that. Okay, so we're going to get yeah, sushi. Hell yeah. That sounds great. <laughs> all right. Well, this has been wonderful. I just have to ask. It's the title of the show. I'm 100% sure I know the answer. Uh, but this show is called Conversations with People Who Hate Me. Jaya, do you hate Tom? Not at all. And Tom, do you hate Jaya? Nah, I fuck with you. <laughs> okay, I was great. like, that was way too yeah, long. Yeah, I was like, pause. oh Hold god, on. jeez, we're, we're we're getting it. Um, so I, I wanted to keep you guys in suspense. I know <laughs> we, we felt in suspense. Um, so, Tom, thank you so much. Jaya, thank you so much. Thank and, you, uh, Dylan. Thank you. Uh, I guess I will see you both on the internet. Yeah. All right, guys, be safe. Bye, Tom. See ya. Bye. If you'd like to be a guest on this show and take your own online conversation and move it offline, please visit www.conversationswithpeoplewhohateme.com for more information. 
Conversations with People Who Hate Me is a production of Night Vale Presents. Vincent Cascione is the sound engineer and mixer. Christy Gressman is the executive producer. The theme song is These Dark Times by Caged Animals. The logo was designed by Rob Wilson. And this podcast was created, produced, and hosted by me, Dylan Marin. Special thanks to Adam Cecil, Emily Moeller, and our publicist, Megan Larson. We'll be releasing episodes every other week, so I'll see you in two weeks with a brand new conversation. Until then, remember, there's a human on the other side of the screen. We're racing, racing through these dark times. It's hard to take it. We're going to make it through these dark times. Make it through these dark dark times you can listen to more episodes of conversations with people who hate me in your favorite podcast app or by visiting conversations with people who hate me.com thanks for joining us on this hiatus celebration tune in next week for part two of the summer of night vale presents featuring justin mcelroy reading a dirty story about tide pods and some music we found in someone's attic To learn more about us and to see all of our shows, check out nightvalepresents.com. And hey, have a great summer.